Welcome to the Crushing Land Podcast, brought to you by The Land Method. Each week, our host, Jonathan, along with The Land Method team and special guest speakers, will answer your burning questions on land investing or discuss relevant real estate investing strategies and principles. So without further ado, let's get started. Well, good morning or afternoon or whatever it is, wherever you are, and welcome to Crushing Land. Uh, We're happy that you're here to join us today. I already see some comments coming in from people saying that they're here and they're with us. And so we're excited to be here today for our special guest episode. Today, we're going to talk about crushing land with crushing surveys. As vacant land investors, there are times when surveying is important. Uh, We do talk about trying to keep things simple. And if you're just flipping a property, you know, just buying a lot of record and flipping it, which we do a lot, not so much, right? But there are different opportunities out there where things come up and, and we've had them come up in many different situations where surveying is essential part of this business, especially in growing it. And that's what we're gonna talk about today. Uh, we have Ryan Roberts joining us with today. Uh, he's a surveyor out of the state of Arizona. We actually met Ryan uh, through uh, having him do a survey for us on a, on a 40-acre track that was out uh, in, the, in that area that he was working in a few years ago. I have stayed in contact with him. Some of you have actually seen him in our Facebook group. He's answered some questions in there. He's been very generous with his time and everything like that. And so he's with us today. So Ryan, welcome. Feel free to unmute yourself and, and turn your video on and join Great. us. <laughs> Greetings, good to see you. And so, uh, we're How's going? great. So, thanks for joining us. And we're gonna let him. We're already getting a hello from Arizona here. We've got somebody from Arizona saying hello to you. So, uh, uh, but uh, so we're gonna let Ryan talk to us a little bit about surveying and why why it's important, the history of it, all of that. We'll get into specifically the deals that we did and why it was important. He's obviously got way more than I have because uh, obviously that's what he does for a living. So that's what he does day in and day out. And so uh, we'll let Ryan talk to you guys for a little bit. As always, feel free to ask any questions. We are monitoring it on Facebook. We are monitoring it on uh, YouTube as well and being able to uh, answer uh, answer questions that you ask. So feel free to bring, those, uh, bring your questions in and we'll uh, answer them at the end as we have time. So Ryan, again, thanks for joining us. And go to it. Start, start telling us a little bit about survey and then we'll, we'll jump right into it. Okie doke. Yeah. Um, So I'm going to start out just kind of talking about a brief history. It won't take long. Um, The history of surveying kind of dates back to the early Egyptian years. Um, They would section off the land for tax purposes and to set different individual farm boundaries. So um, they also think that the early survey methods were used to to get the um, the footprint of the uh, pyramids. So that was kind of the basis of surveying and the early measurements. Um, Then in the Roman era, they actually had a Roman god called Terminus. So Terminus was the protector of boundaries and they would set stones um, to establish the corners of each boundary. And when they would set a stone, it would be a whole ordeal. They would sacrifice a lamb, bury it with the stone, and the actual set stones carried all the way until uh, America in the early or in the late 1800s and early 19s. They were still using stones 
to set as boundary corners and different things. So those early methods of, of things were, were probably not as accurate as what we do today, but uh, a lot of the things have carried over, like the set stones and the boundary markers. Uh, the early Romans, um, if you moved a stone, it was punishable by death. So it was pretty serious back then. And then, um, you know, as it come into America, they developed what's called the public land system, which most states in America today are on the public land system. Most of us are familiar with sections of land, which is one mile by one mile. Originally, those were broke out um, years and years ago, and they used what was called a Gunther's chain, which was 60 feet or 66 feet long. So 80 chains equals one mile. So they would use an old compass and then pull these old chains, you know, 80 times to make a mile and they would set a corner. And back then they got paid per mile, they, per section they surveyed, they would get paid per those. The thing that the government did at that time was they put a zero error in all original surveys. So even though like pulling chain over a mile, the accuracy was plus or minus 10, 20 feet. So by instituting zero error, those monuments hold no matter what. So that kind of gives us the base of what we're measuring on today. So when we say that, you know, a section of land, let's say is one mile by one mile, when we actually measure it in today's technology, it's nowhere close. You could be 10, 20, 50 feet off, different than that. So we have to hold the original monuments. And so that level of error gets prorated or we just, we, we do the best uh, recreation of historical monuments, maps, and notes that we can till today. Um, in Arizona, a lot of it was in the early 1900s being broke down. However, we have mining claims that date further back than um, the original monuments set by the, by the government. So people would claim a mining claim and then they would divide the land later. So it actually just, there's, there's not a whole lot of um, accuracy in combining those two surveys because they happened at two different times. And, uh, you know, we just recently did a mining claim like that. But so everything got broke down into miles. And then further for those from there, that are listening and are maybe not familiar, what you're talking about is like the if you see it on a survey or a legal description, it's like the the northwest quarter of the southwest quarter of the and, and that's that whole section is telling you which part of that is your property. Yeah. That, so people understand what your, 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 the section is mile by a mile, but obviously you don't own a square mile. Most people, they own a little piece of it. So it tells yeah, them. That, por it, go ahead. that portion is, is talked about in almost every legal description with exceptions to um, most uh, subdivisions. You might just see you own lot 47 of such and such subdivision might not have a call to that section but if you look at the plat, it'll be section township range, usually listed on that map. Yeah. So that's in most public lands. I've only surveyed in Arizona. So other states are probably a little bit different. Yeah, I know like the Northeast, it's so old. That's where I'm from. Um, and yeah. I know like up there, it's like random items. 
trees and 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 streams and rocks and I, I actually just had one that we were looking at in that area and it still hasn't changed it's like go this many paces to the fork in the tree the tree with the fork in it and then go to take this many paces to this rock that's on this uh, totally nonsense i mean nothing that you could ever even find now you know 300 years ago it's like the tree's dead the rock's been moved it's like you know <laughs> So yeah, in cases like that, usually survey has to uh, recreate the best evidence. So if it said, you know, 14 feet to the center of a stream, and then another 12 to the tree that's the corner, the stream might not have moved. So you assume, okay, well, it's only 12 feet from the center of the stream, because that's where the tree used to be. So it's Surveying is kind of an art between historical references, whether it's a distance to the middle of the stream, or if it's, you know, this old tree with a scribing on it, or a set stone. And then a, a lot of times back then they would set a stone and it would say, you know, S22, which would be section 22, and then it'd call out the township and range on that stone. It would just be carved in there. So you know, to recreate that survey, we're looking for a rock in the woods, you know, <laughs> or a rock in the desert. And as you can imagine, there's other rocks in the desert. So it's, it's kind of uh, the using the best evidence historically to recreate uh, what the intent of land ownership was at that time, not necessarily what measures best on the ground which is kind of hard to get pe people are like, I own five acres. And you're like, actually it measures out to 4.8. So no, you don't. <laughs> so it, it's, it's kind of an art, a science and, uh, uh, the, and we've a had situations come up like that. So for people that are listening from the land investing side, I mean, two of those things you just said are very important. One, the intent, and you said five acres and, Oh no, you don't. It's 4.8 or whatever you said. And people might say, well, who cares? But if you need X to do something, it's a big deal. And that's where that can come in. I mean, we've had that situation. Actually, the the my my uh business partner right now, one of the ones that he's working on, he's 0 0.03 acres short of what's needed to, and he's trying to get it from because it's so that's you're talking like nothing, right? Just some square footage. And, and and working on it because of so that's where surveying came in to prove oh man you're you know you you need two acres and you've got 1.97 acres right or the thing where you talked about with the intent we had a deal once we were working on where they cut out a piece in the back and they surveyed a line down all the way to the road and whoever wrote it it wasn't the surveyor that messed up because the survey showed it it was the legal description messed up and they put it wrong and literally shut they 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 kept the the that that piece of land that came down to the road the legal description ended at like 10 feet before the road and thankfully the title company and the attorney and everybody agreed and said well the surveyor clearly shows the intent that what you just said the intent was to bring it the whole way down it was never to create some weird long 200 foot driveway that doesn't go anywhere you know it doesn't make any sense right, right. so and they worked with us based on that so that whole point you're talking about there like with what's actually there as opposed to what people think comes in, you know, that, that could be a huge thing for us as investors and also, you know, what the intent of whoever did it was. For sure. And, and we see a lot of that. Um, I, I was 
last week. As a matter of fact, I was an expert witness in a court case, and and I haven't heard how it settled, but uh, essentially it was an easement that uh, was was just drawn wrong. Like most people are like, oh, the easement's over the west 25 feet of this parcel. This one was the easement exists where the road existed in 1993. Well, here we are in 2022. It's a little hard to know what all existed in 1993 because nobody took a picture, nobody drew a map. So it's stuff like that that, uh, you know, it gets a little tricky on, but obviously the intent was when they created a parcel of land that they wanted to also create access to it. So it's, there's, there's a whole science and, uh, you know, just historical, you know, everything gets recorded at the county. So, you know, it's just a matter of chugging through all those old recordings and try to establish a, a purpose behind everything to come up with the best evidence to recreate a survey. Everything now is a resurvey. There's no new land on earth. So it's all just resurveying what's already been done and trying to match that exactly. Well, Hawaii gets some new land every now and then, right? As they, they volcanoes and <laughs> yeah, right. I, and guess I actually they, say, the reason I'm saying that's kind of funny because like I was staying on one. It was it was literally a lava field. This is where it was. It was it was hard as a rock. It was black. There was nothing that the houses were built on it. And they were like, yeah, 30 years ago, this wasn't even here. That's they, they were like, this was ocean. So it's like, but that's rare. I mean, that's obviously just a joke that doesn't exist. But what you were just saying, I mean that goes along with the one you did for us. We might as well just bring it in now because it fits very perfectly with that was what was there and what was the point. I mean, because the thing was our buyer was giving us a hard time because the neighbor had put up a gate on the road. If you remember, right? Remember they, they blocked the entrance. They're yep. basically saying, no, it's ours because we own all the land around it. And it's like, no, this road has been here. This historical road has been here since. And, and the guy was saying like, no, it's not yours. And that's where you went in and used the history. You were like, no. It was proven. Here's here's a thing from nine. I think it, I forget it was like 1995 or something like that that showed that that road was there going in. And you're like, it's a historical road. It's in there. It has access. You know. So that was something. Again, 40 acres, kind of out in the middle of nowhere. I talk about that all the time because that was like 11 or 12 miles off of pavement. It was just like dirt road after dirt road after to to get there. But that's an example, right, of where that kind of thing you know, comes into play with that historical evidence and all of that. Yes. And, and that's a thing is like, people are like, a lot of times they'll, they'll say, well, I've been driving there for seven years. You know, I, I clearly have access, but I mean, still, you, you still have to go to court to get those things settled a lot of times. And, uh, that's not cheap. <laughs> it's not cheap to go to court. So, um, this last easement, I don't know for sure. They've been fighting over it for about two and a half years. I'm guessing each party's into it about $80,000 each, just in attorney's fees and court costs. So um, it's got to be a pretty special road <laughs> to be able to spend that kind of money on it. Yeah, which is not, I mean, if, for our listeners and people that are doing this, I mean, that's not something that we personally, I mean, it would have to be a very valuable piece of property for us to, to go down that, to go down that road. Um, but it's establishing what's there. That's the key. Right. I mean, and you know, and that was only one case. I mean, we've had different ones over, over the years that are very much, much more typical for what 
you probably even experience. I mean, that you are in Arizona and that, that has a lot of desolate land, rural land out there and things like that. But I mean, other stuff that we've done has come up in, in other states, but but the one I talked about where the they messed up with the legal description and, and it was like the survey was needed to fix that, that what the intent was. Um, we had a property that was, you know, half a mile on the road and there was one giant property. And so we, we broke that up into, you know, 14, obviously a surveyors needed to go from one property to 14 properties. Um, we had one property that we did in another state where the legal description was wrong and the County wouldn't record the deed without a new survey. And they said it needs to be updated. And so that was just a boundary survey on a small lot, but it had to get fixed. And they went out a, a point of closure or something like that wasn't correct. Like the, 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 it wasn't, you know, it didn't make a full circle, a full square, whatever shape. And the points like were too far yeah. apart. They only gave like a three foot error or something. And, the, and it ended up being like three feet, three inches or something. It was off. I was off by like three inches, but I had to have a surveyor go out to like bring that point back together. So that type of stuff, I'm assuming at least from my perspective is what we've done more. That's probably more normal, right? For, for the typical investor and stuff, getting either trying to improve the property, you know, by, by creating extra lots or making sure the boundaries are right or making sure that there's some sort of access or, or all these different things. Yeah. And that's, I think as far as a land investment thing, um, if you're going to land invest in one particular area, like closest to home, it's best to have just one surveyor that you go to all the time. Cause that's, that's going to get you. Um, there's so many times like people are asking me like, Hey, we're looking for 10 acres. We want to split down into five twos, you know, anything. And I'm like, I just did one over here for this guy. So it kind of gives you an inside view of, of what parcels are coming up, what's going to be created. Um, so as far as a, a local surveyor, if you're going to be working in one specific area, it's pretty helpful. And, you know, they're going to be familiar with the requirements to split down a piece of property because, you know, four acres selling four acres versus two, two acre parcels. There's a gross difference in uh, those values, depending on the, the lay of the land, given those are you know, you, you could double your money, you know, just depending on which area it is. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I think that, um, a survey is very, very important if you want to look at splitting land and investing in multiple parcels. Well, I mean, it's even really necessary at that point because it's, I mean, you can't, you'd have to actually record. It has to be a recorded survey going in for the County to, they're not going to just be like, Oh, sure. You want to do it? Yeah. Well, let, you, you know, I mean, obviously they're going to have required. Yeah. So, and I agree with you. I mean, you did that one for us. And, and I mean, it's been a few years and we've kept in touch. I mean, we work in a few different states, but it's like I have those relationships with surveyors now in different states, like we do with anything. I mean, we talk about that all the time with people is, you know, wherever you go, you have to have those professional. We don't have the same attorneys closing our deals and doesn't work. Right. Or title companies or soil guys or whatever. But we do kind of have the same crew that we, you know, when we if we did more deals in Arizona, again, we'd be going back to you. If we had, you know, if we're doing deals in other states where those surveyors, they, they're just going to get our business now. We have that established relationship. So yeah, I 100% agree with that. It's like wherever you are, and we teach that, wherever you're investing, it's like build that relationship with that person that you trust and and is knowledgeable and that you can work with. And then obviously, if you need them again, they're there. And if you need them again, 
And in some cases it's like surveyors, it, not, it may not come up as often. You might, you're going to need it more than once, but it may not, but like a title company or attorney, you're going to need it every deal. So it's like, you know, whatever it is, you want to have those established relationships for sure. Yeah. We kind of derailed you a little bit on your history there as we were going to apologize for that. Oh, that's all right. So, I mean, maybe, maybe a little bit on, let's talk a little bit about this, some questions that are coming in that are, that are good here. And we'll, we can talk about that in a little bit, but maybe a little bit on um, basically what, for example, with ours, with our, that property that we did, basically when we got the, the sheriff involved and told him what was going on with the neighbor, he basically was like, if you have a survey that shows it, that's good enough. And then our buyer said that was good enough too. then if the sheriff said that. So maybe a little bit on like the, I, 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 we're not, I know you may have to go to court to get it enforced, but, but a little bit on like the, the authority, you know, how authoritative a, like a survey is like what it gives you. Yeah. So, I mean, that one's a, a bad case just because it wasn't necessarily, um, you know, we could prove that there was a road and that road gave access all the way to the property. There's historical physical access, but that doesn't necessarily create absolute legal access. Um, but essentially what we did there was just kind of establish a history of use. So clearly there's a road that goes all the way to the, the property. You know, it, go, it starts on a main road and it goes all the way to the property. And somebody sometime in the history has created a road that gave physical access to that parcel. And it was via that road. Um, that holds a lot of weight as far as moving forward, you know, because you can't just let somebody use a road openly, notoriously for 20 years and then just out of the blue say, no, not, not anymore, you know, cause it just doesn't work that way. Uh, that particular parcel, um, we couldn't find any other easement recorded. So when that parcel was created, nobody created a road, um, in writing, uh, you know, a written easement to gain access to it. So the only existence of access was physical access and the historical use of that physical access. Yeah. So that, that that's the significance of something like that in that case, because now going forward, I mean, when was that survey we did? It was probably two, three years ago. Yeah. Pro uh, let's see, probably more, probably four years ago. Yeah. Now. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, now we have a map that's dated <laughs> with with that particular date that shows that okay on this date that surveyor went out there in the road at that time went all the way to the property so if it's seven years from now it ends up in a court case you know we're like well the road existed for sure seven years ago so it um it just it just proves historical use um, more than anything. Uh, and you actually marked on that survey cause you found the like images and stuff and found how long it had been in historical use. So you actually like said like at least from, cause I think you found like an aerial shot of that property with that same road on it from somewhere in the nineties. And you marked that you were like, you know, clearly evident 
as existing in I forgot how it was worded. You you know you worded it, but whatever it was, it was it was on there proving that like there had been some sort of physical access to that property for at least you know twenty years at that point, more than that, twenty two years or something. Yeah, and that was uh, that was off the old um, satellite imagery that uh, you can find on Google Earth. So um, Google Earth has a historical satellite imagery that you can kind of scroll back and look at uh, what existed when. And I've used that on several occasions to establish, you know, grandfathered rights as far as like uh, if a garage was built and how long that existed to see if, you know, it was grandfathered in to meet some town or county status of grandfathered in. Like if they built a garage without a permit, well, if it existed 20 years ago, it's not a big deal. If they did it last year, then it's a problem, you know? So um, there's a lot of elements to stuff like that. And, you know, Google Earth is pretty handy tool. But it does show, I mean, we have the access to those tools. We could look on Google Earth and we could tell the county or whoever, It's they didn't care. It was basically like, get a surveyor out there record so when sometimes when it comes to like having some like weight to our thing and having some actually being able to move forward i mean that was the difference between selling that property or the guy basically saying like nobody was interested right i mean that in our case so it does add a whole lot of weight and ability to like move forward with it because now it is a legal established recorded document that that's in you know that's with the county or whoever register of deeds for whoever's holding it or click record. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And on that particular parcel, when we had talked to the rancher, when we had run into him, you know, he, he wanted to adamantly state that there was no physical access ever to that parcel because he didn't want there to be established access to that parcel, which is understandable on his point. If he didn't want to grant access, you know, he knew the, he knew the value of a, a physical access yeah. and he just wanted to say that it didn't exist, even though it did. And you did have to go through his property to get there. And he didn't necessarily, obviously he didn't want that because he had cattle out there and things like that. And so obviously he had concerns. I mean, that's, and that's, that is the difference between what's phys- like what's there and what's legal and, and desires. Right. I mean, because sometimes it's like, and, and we've had that, you know, that was the same. We had a property, that we had to get surveyed the same exact thing had a little tiny strip coming down and the guy, the neighbor was basically saying like, no, it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. This was a different state. And we had to get a surveyor out there to prove that. Yes, it does exist. It's there. You know, it's not, you know, you can say it doesn't. And, and, and this was kind of the other way in that the strip was there legally and on paper, but nothing ever went beyond that and it was just all treed and they were basically like and and of course they when they were cutting stuff down on their lawn and the guy on the other lawn on the side of them you know it's supposed to be like a 12 foot strip or 15 foot strip of course they took extra trees so it went down to four feet or six feet or something you know they weren't using it it was just a lawn but they were basically saying like no you don't have enough room there there's there's nothing there for you and we had to get you know again surveyor involved to prove yes it's there we have that Yes. Yeah, that's pretty normal. 
So when it comes to land itself, I mean, what are some of the things that you, I mean, cause you do work with other land investors. You work with people that are, that are buying and doing these things. I mean, what are, what do you say is like the most, we're kind of giving some extreme circumstances, but what, what is the most normal or not normal, but more routine? I mean, I'm assuming some subdividing easements. I mean, wh- wh- where, where do you find yourself getting involved? More so often? most of the time when somebody hires a surveyor, they're buying a piece of property, not necessarily for an investment or a quick flip, but they're buying a house and they want to make sure that all the fences are right. You know, they don't want to, they don't want to buy a house that, you know, all the fences are two foot on the neighbor. Cause now I got to replace all the fences as soon as I buy this house. So they want to make sure that make sure there's no encroachments or, you know, like, uh, we, we did one survey for a guy that, um, and in closing, it was set up that the buyer pay half of the survey and the seller pay half of the survey. Well, when we went out there, the driveway was encroaching. So his driveway had to go on the neighbor's property first to access his property because of the trees and the boulders. And there was no way to just scoot the driveway over to give this guy physical access. So the buyer backed out. They said, well, we don't want to mess with that. <laughs> so the buyer paid their portion of the survey, but the seller was mad because the survey ruined the deal. <laughs> so they didn't want to pay for it. But, um, Yeah. So anytime that there's any question on whether or not, you know, a wall, a fence, a garage, a road, a driveway, any of that exists in the right spot, then people will typically order a survey to just a, I mean, it's, you know, if the survey is $600, it's $600 worth of insurance that you don't have to move, you know, a $12,000 fence. So that's most of the cases of stuff we do. We do a lot of construction staking. So we do a lot of placing of the houses. So, you know, somebody's doing a new construction, we lay out where that house is going to make sure that it meets setbacks. It's going to be in the right location and that it's pointing the right direction and that it's perfectly square. So we do a lot of that stuff. And then of course, you know, land splits and, land division, stuff like that, lot line adjustments. If a fence is in the wrong spot, you know, they'll adjust the property line and do a little, some kind of deal to exchange properties. But yeah, I mean, that's a common day. The most extreme cases are, you know, once a year we get something that's a little crazy. Yeah. And I mean, for us, I mean, we, we obviously don't do a structure. So when we did, I mean, we used to flip houses and stuff. I mean, we had those things. Don't get me wrong. Um, but for vacant land, I mean, I would say, and, and you can add to it if there's anything, you know, I, I'd say one thing that we, we obviously subdividing is a huge one because obviously that, that's a hundred percent needing a surveyor. I mean, there's no, no questions involved with that. Um, if you're looking, if you technically have access or an easement, but you're not sure on the size and if it's good enough, you know, because there are regulations as to how wide they need to be for for fire trucks and things like that in certain areas. And if it was created before that, we've used it in those cases, you know, making sure that, I mean, just because it's there legally, just making sure there's actually something there that that it can turn into a buildable lot because the county can tell us, oh, there's, there's, there's legal access, but you know, what the physical access is, is a different, you know, we, you know, or it might go 
right up a mountain or something. I, there's a lot of different ways that that the physical or the legal access can differ. And if it's a cheap lot, it may not matter much. But if you're trying to sell a fifty thousand dollar piece of property and you've given somebody a twelve foot easement or twelve twelve, 12 foot right away going up and it's straight up a mountain, it's useless, right? So it's like getting a surveyor out in those type of cases has proven beneficial. And then obviously, like we've said with other ones, with just, you know, making sure the boundaries are right or making sure you have enough land. You know, they tell you you need two acres and you have 1.97 to do something. It's like, yeah. you know, th th those are pretty big ones for 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 us as, as land investors. I mean, is there is there other things that you see or is that a pretty good synopsis? Or, I mean, you're the professional. Yeah, so Typically, if you're buying, say, uh, if you're buying a piece of land that's in other a subdivision or, you know, something that's divided lands or whatever, and you, you know that there's a legal access and there's somewhat of a physical access and uh, there's not a bunch of fences or possibility of encroachment, then if you're just going to buy it and then essentially raise the price and sell it again, you know, getting the survey probably isn't completely necessary um, because you're, you're probably not as concerned with <laughs> where exactly it is. But um, yeah, I mean, we see it all the time. I mean, people are like, well, I found the four corners and you're like, well, are you sure they're right? Because anybody can move a corner <laughs> we'll go out there. And, you know, most of the time a, a survey corner has a, it's a piece of rebar with a plastic cap and, the plastic caps all hammered and they moved it four and a half feet. And you're like, that's, that's significant. <laughs> so now, now you buy a piece of property and you got a fence encroachment with a guy that is going to fight you on it. And you don't want that neighbor, but if it's just going to be a, a short, quick flip for you and, and you're just looking to make a little bit of money on each flip, then, you know, a survey on each parcel probably isn't necessary. Yeah. And we don't, I mean, like, again, if we're in a, if we're in a lot of record in the subdivision, we don't usually, um, if we're obviously if we have rural land too, like that one that you dealt with, if that had a road on it, we wouldn't have bothered with that either. Cause there's nothing there, nothing on either side. I mean, who's going to be doing it in normal cases. Right. I mean, it's like, there, there's really, if somebody's worried about it for, from a boundary of, am I actually getting 40 acres or am I getting 39.7 or am I getting 40 point seven you know it's like who cares it's like somebody would still buy that so in that case we wouldn't have either we had to because of the issues um but there are plenty of cases like we said that it, it does make sense you know especially if your profit potential is going up too i mean there's a lot here that are buying lots for three and four thousand dollars and flipping them for eight and ten survey doesn't really make sense in those cases you know a lot of times because it's, it's small but when you're talking about like you said doubling or tripling or you got a ten thousand dollar investment and you can send somebody out and you could do a couple different things and all of a sudden the property goes to being worth 50 60 80 100 dollars because of certain improvements or because of certain information then that's when you really need to start opening your eyes and your mind and being like wow this this makes some sense to do and to take further yeah. And at that point, you become more in the, the realm of land development instead of just uh, flipping lots, you know, buying land for a, a short term investment or a long term investment. Which is what we somewhat, I mean, we teach that. And you know, like in our course and our stuff, we talk about, um, I call it pre development because we don't actually do anything. We're just getting it ready entitlements, things like that, right? So we're getting 
surveys, we're getting septic approvals, we're getting perk tests, we're getting whatever it may be. So that's something we can lay that on somebody and say, this is ready for you, right? It's like, you can now go do these things. I'm not going to do them. I'm not going to develop them. But like yeah, that one we talked about with the surveyor involved, that was one lot to 14. I mean, that was, we worked with a survey and an engineering firm because the surveyor went in and created 14 lots. And then the engineering firm did all the work as far as like making sure the water was right and the set, you know, working with a septic engineer to make sure the soil engineer to make sure the, the septic tanks, you know, there was perk tests for all of them. And so basically it's like, here it is an approved lot. You can come buy this and you can go do your development. You can go build your house. You can go do whatever. It's a hundred percent ready now with us, without us doing it. So yeah, we, we do talk about that a lot. I mean, there's a lot of up potential in those things, but that's where working with the right, the right professionals like yourself it makes all the difference i mean that that's the difference between taking a single lot and flipping it and making you know we still could have made 20 grand or something or making you know a hundred thousand dollars by doing all of that extra you know putting the extra work into to get into that like you just said development land development pre-development stage yeah and with, with everything we do so um you know in, in the state of Arizona, you know, there's limits on how many lots you can split out of a piece of property um, without doing an actual platted subdivision. And then there's limits to how many, you know, lots you can do without a platted subdivision in a town or a city. So those regulations, like any local surveyor is going to be very well versed in it. So like in my area of Yavapai County, you know, given the water issues that we have, like to do over five lots in the county, you know, you need a subdivision and you got to prove a hundred year water supply. So you have to have what they call paper water. You have to have water credits, you know, essentially saying you have the right to that water. Um, so th that causes a problem for a lot of folks because they don't have the water. They buy a piece of land and they think they can split it, you know, 75 lots but they really can't because they don't have the water so they can only split it five times so all that you need to do like in your due diligence period before you close you know if you have intent of splitting or subdividing or something like that you know you you need to call a, a surveyor or an engineer or somebody uh to kind of walk you through the process in that area i mean it's going to vary greatly across the nation but you know I know in Arizona, a lot of people will buy with intent of one thing and realize they can't. And the profit margin is so little that it really wasn't worth the deal. Yeah. And Arizona, I think, is pretty unique in that. I mean, different states do have, we've run into it. I mean, Arizona has that limit, you know, without creating a subdivision of record. But part of that was, I shouldn't even say part of it. I think the main reason Arizona even did that was because so many people were coming in and creating basically useless subdivisions, right? They were going in and basically, Hey, I can split this thing up into 50 properties. And all you had was 50 little squares of land that were com like complete nothing. I mean, I've seen these things selling for a couple hundred bucks now. No, there's no use for them. Yeah. So, yeah, you, you can see in kind of a lot of rural areas, you know, they'll, take a big piece of land, they'll dice it up into little two acre lots and they'll even dedicate roads. Um, but the roads that are dedicated were never improved. So there's no water, there's no sewer. In some of those areas, you can't even drill a well because, you know, you get down 2000 feet and you're still not hitting water. That's 
you know, you're $40,000 into a well that you can't even get a drink of water. out of. So, um, yeah. So a lot of those lots are, you know, just sitting there vacant, vacant land, just waiting for somebody to, to buy it. And I don't know, most of the time they'll just park a motor home on it and haul their water. So it's, they're, they're kind of rough areas. So all that stuff, you got to be a little, cause those are the lots that usually pop up that are pretty cheap. You can buy a two acre lot for like, like you said, maybe 4,000 bucks or something, but you get out there and you know, there's abandoned vehicles everywhere and garbage blown in the wind, no water and the roads terrible. So it's, it's just a poor investment to try to buy that and then try to talk somebody else in, into buying it from you. So it's just a, a due diligence thing, but yeah, Arizona had quite a bit of those subdivisions that just, they went in, there was no development. It was just, they diced it all up and then sold all the lots and no improvement ever came to the, the subdivision. So it's pretty much wasted land. Yeah. And you could definitely see why they did it and things like that. And I mean, and, and that's where it comes into, does it make sense? Right. I, I mean, cause there are situations, obviously Arizona is growing so that people are going in and creating, working with people like you and engineers and creating subdivisions of record and making, you know, taking a piece of land and breaking it up into X amount of properties, whatever it may be. I, I mean, it's happening because obviously people are, Arizona's pop, especially now people are leaving California and running Arizona. I mean, Arizona's going up even more. And so it's like, so obviously that, that work is happening. It's just understanding that it, there's steps to take right there's people you have to work with there's things you need to do to make it work right and you've got to do your like you said your due diligence and we always say it over and over again that's why we have people like you on you have to work with the right professionals it's like there's you know this isn't something we take on our yeah we may be overseeing it we may be the investor i think but you have to have the right team in place because it's nothing you can do on your own and that's true in every state arizona has a specific law but that's you know that 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 14 law when i talk about we couldn't have done that on a different state and didn't have those regulations, but never could have done it on our own. It's impossible. I mean, cause we don't have the, the power. I don't have a surveying license. I don't have an engineering license. I don't have those things that you need to be able to do this stuff. And I think a lot of people want, like, they don't realize that they think it's so easy. Cause they, they think about the deals that we do a lot where we, like you said, we buy a piece of property for a few thousand and flip it for a few thousand more. And it was nice, but somebody did that work before. That's why we were able to do that. But now it's like, if you want to create more properties, if you want to create, then you have to put in the work that somebody else did at some point in order to get to that next level. And if you don't want to do those things, then you have to just basically avoid all these type of properties that we're talking about. Yeah. And, and I think like the biggest mistake that I see made as far as developing property is somebody like you get five splits in Arizona. So if somebody buys, you know, 50 acres and they split it into five tens, you end up with this situation where, okay, I got five tens it's zone two acres. So those people will be able to split it five times after they buy it. But there's other regulations like width and depth of the lots. So if the way you chose to split, it doesn't allow for further splits. Um, you could get yourself in trouble just selling a piece of land to somebody saying, here's 10 acres, you can get five, two acre lots out of it. And you sell it under those terms. And then when the people hire a surveyor, he's like, well, the dimensions are wrong. So you can't get five parcels, you can only get three. 
then you end up with this situation where you've grossly under or devalued the property by only getting three splits instead of five. So um, if your intent is to split something into five tens, say, that can further be split, you need to tell your surveyor at that time, like, hey, my intention is to sell this as splittable land. So we need to make sure that the next guy coming, that there's there's meat on the bone for him to split it down as well. Yeah. So, and, and you're stuff stupid. Like you're that, not doing that anyway. Working. You're already working with the person. Why would you not be? I mean, if you're not, if if, if me as the investor, anybody, like, why would you not be saying that? Because it's like you want to get. Because it, it makes your property more valuable. I mean, obviously, if you can sell a property, even if it's ten acres, with the ability to split it five times or three, it's still more valuable to you. It's not as valuable as the five split will be, but it's still more valuable being able to be split into five than being able to sp split into three. So that's just laziness and not having the right kind of communication and discussions, you know, at, at that time with the person that you're working with, if, if somebody's not doing those things, right? It's like, and that's why we say like all the time, it's like, we don't know everything. Nobody knows everything. That's why, you know, if that was the case, we'd all do the exact same thing, right? Not everybody does everything the same. I, I have a surveying license and a septic and a law license, and I would do everything. And no, it doesn't work that way. We're not all specialists in everything, right? You have to work with the right people. So it's it's huge. And this is a little bit. I mean, just just to bring it down to earth a little bit here for everybody that's that's watching and listening. I mean, there's two different things we're talking about here this pre-development and this expansion part, that is a little bit higher level. If you want to get into that, which I love, by the way, that's my favorite thing. By, by far, to me, it's the easiest. It's, it's, you're working with people like yourself and professionals that work with it. It's, it's not difficult to oversee. There's better money to be made. Everybody got meat on the boat. I mean, there's this. So if you want to do those type of things, this is where this comes into place. But also for the general flipper that is just looking to make add value to a single property there is still cases where we've had to have surveys that i've talked about where you're proving access where you're making sure the legal description's right because sometimes it's not and the county's telling you no you've got to get it a new boundary survey that type of thing so there is still cases out there even for vacant land where it's like i'm buying like for example I'll give you guys a perfect example. I bought this little dinky lot, half an acre, and there was issues with the survey and the neighbor knew about it. And uh, I had to get a boundary survey done. Well, I wasn't buying the property for 500 bucks. Had a boundary survey, uh, and the neighbor offered me $2,000 as it sat without the survey. I was like, no, I had a boundary survey done. And then that same neighbor paid 10, five for the property with the correct issue. So you just talked about eight, $8,500 of increase in value for a thousand dollar survey, right? It's like not, no, no questions there. So that is something, I don't know how often that comes up, but that's an example of, of something that where it still made sense, even on a single easy flippable lot that we weren't really doing any sort of improvements on just making sure everything was correct. Yeah. And, and, and I see that a lot. So, you know, we'll come in, you know, we've ruined a lot of deals, you know, people want to buy a piece of property and uh, we come in and survey it and be like, oh yeah, this fence is over and that's wrong. And <laughs> this guy's been driving across the corner of your lot this whole time. And, you know, anytime there's a boundary issue is discouraging people that are looking to buy for the long term or build a house or something, will try to avoid those problems. 
Um, so, you know, a lot of realtors don't want to pay for a survey until they absolutely need it. You know, if the buyer wants it, but, uh, I, I say if you're selling a house, you get the survey first, that way, if there is an issue, you have time to fix the issue <laughs> before you try to sell the house. But, um, that's usually not the case. Um, we're kind of the bad news bears as far as, you know, deals. Cause you know, if we bring good news, then nothing changes. If we bring bad news, then everything changes. So there's nothing good that can come out of a survey because you're either going to do the deal or you're not. So well, in our case, it was actually the opposite where the survey was, was it was an issue already. And the survey is what made the property valuable for us. So like, Oh yeah. In that, in that case there, it was like something was off and the neighbor knew because the guy tried to sell the property ahead of time. And there was issues where, and he was just didn't want to get us the guy lived out of the area. He didn't want to deal with it. The county wouldn't record the deed. They're like, no, the survey's wrong. The legal description's wrong. It needs to be updated. The neighbor knew this. It basically was like, I'll give you two grand as it sits. I know there's issues. And I was like, or I'll just call a surveyor. And I got it fixed for a thousand bucks. And then the same same guy, like I said, will offer 10.5 at that point. All of a sudden he went all the way up to like almost retail value on the property because it's now fixed. So, which is all he would have done. Let's be honest, right? He bought it for me for two. He was going to yeah. call a surveyor and he was going to pay a thousand bucks and he was going to do the same exact thing. It's like, but, and, and, and so there are circumstances where it can be, same thing with us with like that easement issue right i mean that was something that was yeah. it's more in our case it's more for for vacant land i don't know if this is the right term or not but we use it almost for like corrective purposes it's like it's correcting information that's not right and and we're running into some hiccups that can easily be fixed like you know being 10 feet off of a road when that wasn't when that was clearly not the the intent or the legal description to point of origin or whatever it's called, not matching up by three feet, three and a half feet, whatever, you know, fixing these things. So now we actually have real valuable, lots of record and everything's established. Yeah. And one thing to keep in mind too, is uh, legal descriptions like pass through a lot of hands. Usually in the state of Arizona, you hire a surveyor to split a piece of property. He writes up a new legal description. Well, that new legal description then goes to the title company and then they rewrite it. Um, they usually use the exact same verbiage, but they retype it so it's a fresh new document to be recorded. Um, the more that happens, the more likely that there's an error. <laughs> and the more people that touch it, the, the more likely that a mistake was made. So title companies sometimes don't catch those issues. So when, a, when it's recorded, if there's an error in the legal description, it's the... Uh, it kind of falls on the, the title company. And if, you, if you're if you closing land through a title company as a buyer, it's good to go through the title company because they issue you know title insurance and stuff like that. Um, there are benefits versus like a quick claim deed, you know, where you don't have reassurance yeah. necessarily. So, and, and that's stuff literally like what that happened that, in our case. I mean, the, the thing went back to like the 1800s, the original survey and handwritten, forget typed you know, handwritten deeds right? until the fifties, I think. So 1880 or something to like 1950 something. So you're talking 70, 75 years of, of, of handwritten deeds. And then they started being typed and nothing changed. The guy inherited it from his mom who bought it in the fifties. And then he inherited it like in the eighties and somewhere along the lines, the legal description moved three feet. 
three and a half feet. You know, it's like something just, and that could be anything, right? I mean, if you just have like head in X degrees and you're off just a one degree, right? If they, if they take a 14 yep. and they turn it to 14 and a half or something, but you're talking over, I mean, I was reading a business book once and they're talking about like airplanes and how they set their degrees. And they're like, you know, they're like, if, if you're off by like one degree flying across the country, it's the difference between ending up in Washington, DC or New York city. It's like, by the time you go over three, that's 3000 miles, but on a piece of land, you can see the same thing, right? It's like the difference between just falling, you know, having it shoot off in a little bit of an angle and one, you know, three to three feet off or something like was the case for us where it didn't match back up over a hundred and something years of just one number changing or something like that. So that was in like, in that case, that's where it was valuable for us to actually get the survey, get it corrected and have that fixed where we're right. Yeah. So stuff like that, it's always to solve those problems before you go to sell it because, you know, with an issue, you're going to have value. So, um, sometimes people are willing to work through an issue, but they want to pay less. So I, I don't know. I, as a surveyor, I'm always like, yeah, yeah, you should never buy land without a survey, but ask your tire guy about tires and he'll tell you, you need new ones. <laughs> so it's just kind of, uh, it's one of those things like you, you eliminate a lot of risk with a survey, but is the risk and the cost are, are those, uh, are those equal value? You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and we talk about that. I mean, there's a, a lot of it just depends on the value of the property, what you're doing with it. Are you buying it to do something more with, are you buying it to flip it? Are you going to be flipping it immediately the next day or the same day? Are you going to be, you know that there's issues. I mean, there's a million different questions that come up that create that process as to whether or not you send somebody out. So we do have a few questions here. We're pushing an hour, so we won't take too much more of your time, but we'll, we'll do a quick couple of things. Okay, so first off, real quick, somebody's looking for surveyors in, in different areas than where you work. Is there, do you have recommendations on how to find reputable surveyors? Yeah, so um, the there's definitely, uh, you know, you can go online, just, you know, do a basic Google search that'll bring up the surveyors in that area. Um, the best thing to do it, like there's certain things like some, some surveyors aren't insured, like we're insured. So if, if there's an issue, you know, if we're wrong, then, you know, our insurance is going to cover it. You know what I mean? So if I lay out a house and that house is encroaching on your neighbor's lot, and there's got to be a purchase, like my insurance covers those things. So as far as surveyors, uh, question number one would be, you know, to make sure that they're licensed and that they have insurance to cover any kind of errors that they might encounter. We're all human, so mistakes happen. <laughs> so insurance is pretty important. Yeah, licensed and insured. And again, I think now, I mean, you can kind of look at like who's got decent ratings even on google and people leave stuff i mean don't always trust the bad because people love to leave negative reviews if like the, i love when it's like the minor stuff and it's like you know it took them seven weeks when i told them it was going to be six and a half or something stupid like that right it's like uh, you know people do stupid things like that but you know you can still look at some reviews and and i think I, that may have been how we found you i don't remember now it was either that or or word of mouth and that's obviously another one too if you know somebody in that area and they've had success with somebody, then that's perfect. Um, 
Somebody asked if you're buying two lots side by side and power is needed to be brought in, is a survey a must for an easement that will run with the land? Um, no, not necessarily. So um, it kind of depends. Like a, in Arizona, a lot of times the the um, power companies themselves will create the easements that they need to get you power. So they'll actually orchestrate the whole thing to where if you have two lots and you need, you know, power, um, most of the time, and I don't know in every state, but in Arizona, most of the time, the, uh, the roadways are also for utilities. So like you'll have a 50 foot road, um, easement, but then the physical road only takes up 25 feet of that. That extra land is for drainage and, uh, for the utilities themselves. So if it's two lots in a platted subdivision, likely that there's already an easement established for utilities. Um, if there's not, usually the utility companies will, will have a method and to create the, because uh, the, they want to get utilities to you because that's how they make their money. So um, they'll have a method to create the easements that you need to get your power, whatever, water, any kind of utility. And, and if one's in the back, I would assume you're going to be creating an easement to get back there for ingress and egress. So you just add utilities to that, right? Just ingress, egress, and utilities to, to bring it. Yeah, if, if there are two, anyway. two parcels that are next to each other with no easement, then you would just create a, you'd have to create a roadway easement, and you would just include the utilities with that easement. Yeah, which we've done. And the same thing is true, I think, in pretty much every state with the roads. I mean, if you ever look at, like, the survey or anything for your own house, you don't own – people think they own right up to the road. You can use it, and your lawn usually goes right up to it if you don't have a sidewalk, but you don't own that land. I mean, the road – you know, the, the, the town owns another 10, 12, 15 feet, whatever it may be. So let me – sorry, I'm scrolling down here. Uh uh, let's see. Somebody asked about prescriptive easements. Do you need a survey? Does a survey work with a prescriptive easement? Do you need a survey if you have a prescriptive easement? Um, a prescriptive easement, it, it depends on how you want to define that. If you're defining a prescriptive easement, meaning you have historical use, giving you rights to that. I mean, realistically, you would need a judge to determine that with any kind of legal weight. But, um, I mean, a survey would be nice to, to be able to prove the uh, historical use for sure. Which is kind of what happened in our case. The survey did that, and yep. what happened after that, I don't know, because the buyer basically said, I'm going out there with my survey, and I'm going through. It's my land. I don't care. You know, he was like, <laughs> so he's like, I'll bring my gun with me, and I'm going to do that. I mean, Wild West, you know, I mean, that's basically what it was out there, right, in the middle of, but. Yep. So, yeah, that's just that's just the way that is. So, all right. And then as far as you, somebody asked us, cause they're in that area. Uh, it says what County in Arizona do you know? You work in multiple counties, right? So what counties in Arizona do you work in? Um, mo mostly right now we're focused in Yavapai just cause we're so busy in Yavapai that it, it's, it's hard to get, it's hard for me to leave town, a little less another County, but um, we we've worked in Coconino, Mojave, Maricopa, um Yavapai of course which I'm based out of and uh you know we'll work anywhere it's just uh with added travel is added cost 
<laughs> so it gets expensive if we have to, you know, we've done stuff down in Tucson, which is a long ride for us, but, uh, you know, you drive all the way down to Tucson, you're adding, you know, $1,500 to the price of a survey. doesn't make a whole lot of sense if it's just for a lot, you know? So it just, it kind of just depends on what it is and where it is. And, you know, if the, the added cost makes sense for the purpose of the survey. Yeah. And I mean, Arizona is a huge state. So what you just described, I mean, you just talked like just that handful of counties. I mean, Yavapai County alone is bigger than some East coast states. <laughs> so, I mean, it's right. You know, it, it's a, it's a big difference, you know, based on where you are and things like that. But yeah, it's so, but so that, so he's in Arizona, everybody there, Yavapai County predominantly, but obviously if you have a question, you can reach out. His information is in this video down below the phone number of his websites, there, email. So obviously you can reach out to Ryan. If you have a question on a specific survey that you want to get done, um in that area uh we we definitely you know recommend that we recommend him we've used them it worked out great uh very knowledgeable so we thank you for joining us the only thing left here at the end is we told you we love to talk about this a little bit everybody so um he does have uh a cause that he's been working with and um that is something that's near and dear to him so we'll just give him a couple minutes here just to talk about that just to show appreciation for joining us. So your camera went off. I don't know if you realize that, but your mic is still on. So if you want to tell us a little bit about those schools and everything, we may have lost it. I think I did lose them. Something came up. Well, anyway, I'm not going to be able to do this nearly as, as good as him. So apparently we lost Ryan. We thank him for it, but he is uh, working with um, a community growth as a volunteer. He says he sits on the board for a nonprofit school for autism and building a forever home for autistic adults. The links are in the, um, in the uh, description here as well. So they do take donations. He just said his, he sent me a text here is his laptop died. So apparently we lost him. But um, it, again, if you're appreciative of, of him taking the time and helping you with this and you want to give a little donation or something like that, obviously you can't use him to work. And if you're not in Arizona and his areas, go check out those websites. Uh, you know, it is a, it is a um, charitable donation. So tax deduction for anybody that's here and, and watching this. So again, both of those links are in the description uh, for these videos. So everybody, we thanks for joining us. We thank Ryan, even though we got disconnected. And um, we appreciate you guys coming and joining us each and every week. Hopefully you found this helpful. If you have specific questions about using Ryan and, and his abilities, then feel free to reach out. Uh, again, his contact information will be in the description as well. So everybody, thanks again for joining us here on Crushing Land. And we'll see you next week as we take on another topic. Keep your land business growing and we'll see you soon. Thank you listeners for joining in today. Join us again next week for another discussion on all things land. If you have a topic you want discussed, send us an email about it at thelandmethod at gmail.com or use the contact form on our website, thelandmethod.com. Remember to join the Land Method Facebook group as well if you want to be the first to hear this content and be a part of a community that supports each other in our land businesses. Have a great week.